1: Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com.
2: And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts.
0: In Alaska, I'm exploding.
3: Hello and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair.
1: I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Chris Murphy. We're here to discuss the seventh episode of the HBO series Succession, Tailgate Party.
3: Uh, I'm jumping on the digital battle bus.
0: Uh, tailgate Party, we nail it down, yeah?
1: And later, Succession's odd couple, Frank and Carl, played by Peter Friedman and David Arash, will be dropping by to talk about dressing down the Roy children and an epic Frank and Carl moment that was left on the cutting room floor.
3: But first, a recap of the episode. Tom and Shiv's relationship seems on a sexy upswing as they host a fancy pre-election party.
1: And guess what Father Sexmas has
3: brought you? Hot, fresh polling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Turns out Connor could be a deciding factor in the election. So Roman tries to convince him to drop out on behalf of Jared Menken, but fails. There's one person here who doesn't think I'm a joke. Mm-hmm. So that's who I'm going to listen to. Alumni of the Scooby-Doo Business School, Kendall and Roman sniff out that Matson's numbers aren't quite right and escalate their plan to kill the Gojo deal.
2: Your numbers, exploding, right? Like, literally unbelievable. Well, thank you, thank you, and congrats to you as well, because I hear your numbers
3: are gay. Shiv panics that she's backed the wrong billionaire, and her relationship with Tom blows up. You shouldn't have even married me, actually. What the fuck? Yeah. What the. Fuck. meanwhile greg finds comfort in the darkness of mass firing employees hr says
2: i'm the right guy for the job because it looks like i care but i don't
3: not a good person well chris this really feels like we've entered the end game <laughs> doesn't it yeah it's giving um, it's giving end times end <laughs> times for sure gloomy end times at a party speaking of end times i think we should probably start With the big fireworks of the episode, which was Tom and Shiv, yeah, which began with the scorpion and ended with, I got really worried that Tom was going to do something. I I thought he was going to jump.
1: I (laughs) I have to say that I really was like, we're going to end the episode with we're at the party and Tom kicks everybody out, and then we're going to see him out the window. That's what I thought. That's how dire (laughs) the circumstances were. It seemed. I think we should start at the beginning of the episode because they sort of go up and down and up and down. Some of the biggest tonal shifts I've seen in a long time with Tom and Shiv relationship dynamic. What did you, Richard, think of the scorpion present?
3: I think that it was emblematic of Tom's tragic inability to not see when he's taken a joke too far or not be able to read Shiv when she's not in the mood for the big joke of their relationship. Yes. And also, he's never supposed to lead the attack. No, he's not. She can prod at him, and he can prod at 75% strength back at her, but he can't open a morning with, you know, here's breakfast and polls that favor your candidate, but also here's a mean joke. Here's a mean joke. She doesn't like that.
1: No, she does not. I have to say, I have not seen a worse present Since Valentina gave Isabella that brooch on White Lotus, (laughs) (laughs) that is the worst present I've seen. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Since since then, just also just in terms of like aesthetic and decor, like I don't even know what it was supposed to be. But I think you're entirely right. There's a game to their relationship, and they've agreed to these imaginary rules. And one of the rules is Shiv gets to attack first. Shiv gets to sort of run the show. She's alpha, he's beta, and the minute that he presented that gift out of the blue, even though he thought it was funny. He's such a doofus. He's such a goober. He broke one of their unspoken rules. It's very Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, where once you transgress against these rules that we've agreed to... All bets are off.
3: Yeah, and they had just been having this, you know, marathon fuck fest. Yeah. Like thirty. She came thirty <laughs> times. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> and they're sending each other sexy text messages even after the awkwardness of the scorpion. Yeah. She gift. showed
1: it. She brushes it off. She doesn't make it a big deal. At the she's moment. like, I
3: think I get it. Yeah, but then I think she starts to stew. Part of it might be that she's stressed out because she's playing two sides. Yeah. she her brothers have caught no whiff of the fact that all those little conversations she's having with Matson, some of which they know about, obviously some are secret, yeah. like, They don't think she's up to something after they kind of screwed her over. It was literally
1: crazy to me. And, like, again, obsessed with this season. This episode, though, I was a little bit like, they don't notice that she's literally going into small rooms with (laughs) Mattson at this party. like, And that she's constantly by his side and is not doing what Roman and Kendall asked her to do. That was a strained credulity for me a little bit, I will say.
3: And I think she's mostly pulling it off until she isn't. Yes. But I think she's stressed out. And I think she's had time throughout the episode by the time they blow up to really— you know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about like how various siblings were in different stages of grief, like one of mm-hmm. a big one being denial. Yes. I think this is maybe the denial stage of their divorce. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no, no. Like, we're great. We're, we're sparring like old days. We're having great sex, whatever. But it was short lived. It was the death knell. It, it was d- the last <laughs> rattle of yeah. this thing. And by the time they're at the party, it's at their Tom's house essentially but everyone at the party is making fun of him for losing his job in the coming days I think Shiv is just like oh wait this is not sexy to me at all
1: that's one aspect of it is that everyone's making fun of the fact that Tom is fully gonna get chop chop soon and then we can't (laughs) forget that even Shiv felt bad about this that she brought her ex-lover who she cheated on Tom with to the party in an attempt to sort of get Mattson to pass the regulatory codes and whatnot. and that power play it was unthinking and unfeeling of Tom as a human being, right? right? If that's her partner, if that's her lover, if he made her come 30 times—I'm sorry, I keep saying that, but that was a wild text that has to be. we have to talk about—for that to happen in the morning and then not three hours later being like, hey, so the guy that I was like in love with and cheating on you with is actually going to come to our house. Is that cool? It's actually not a question It's happening whether you like it or not. That is going to set somebody off. That's going oh, to yeah. sort of signal that, oh, maybe their reconciliation, which— it's so crazy how last episode we were like, wow, things look really great for Tom and Shiv. <laughs> they really sort of having honest conversations for the first time. And I think the beauty of the show is that in 60 seconds flat, it's all fallen to pieces. Yeah. And it's Shiv's fault. I'm going to say, well, Scorpion Gift not great. Bringing the guy that you cheated on your husband with or your husband to be with, probably a little bit worse than a bad present.
3: Compounded by the fact that the other guy that Shiv is entertaining that night is this mercurial crazy billionaire guy who shiv is constantly strategically flirting with i'm doing air quotes i think it's sometimes genuine flirting oh, yeah, even huh? though she finds him to be a bit of a creep but who tom cannot get any inroads with no. tom knows that Matson thinks he's the biggest doofus on the planet <laughs> and yet shiv has a rapport with him she's cozying up to him so not only is her ex-lover there But this new presence, this male threat, basically, that Shiv knows that Tom knows that that's kind of the dynamic— So, yeah, I can see. And, you know, obviously Tom is also ginning himself up about, like, I'm so busy tomorrow. It's, you know, election eve. And then at one point Shiv says, we're not doing anything. Yeah. Uh,
1: He's such a joke to everybody. And that's the thing that's actually really painful and so wonderful about Matthew McFadden's performance is that, while he is a joke and he's got his wine and he's tired. Like, that's going to be a meme, 100 percent. Tired Tom running around the party as Mrs. Dalloway trying to make it nice. (laughs) As Dorinda Medley trying to make it nice. Tom is a real person and he doesn't think that he's a joke. As much of a joke as everyone in the room, Roman and Kendall don't even look up from their phones to basically be like, you're fired, we don't care about you, you're done. Shiv is laughing at his face to Lucas Madsen and Nate is right there. He thinks of himself as a ser- as a real person yeah. and nobody treats him as such and that is sort of the tragedy of Tom and I Almost would have, like, complete empathy for him, if not for going back to him and Greg firing 100 people and Tom's busy sexting in the corner and then is doing, like, boo-hoo. He also is a terrible person, too. That's the thing. (laughs) Yes. He's a real person. Yeah. But he's a terrible person as well, just like everybody else on the show.
3: (laughs) Pretty much everyone's bad, but I think the difference is—and I think you— what you're pointing out is exactly what this episode's trying to do which is like this episode pushes the three siblings further into the isolation of their self obsession yes. right like Shiv cannot see what she's doing to Tom and i think that she it goes way past what she wanted it to go past i don't think she was actually done with him mm-hmm. until she got scolded basically yeah. and told some truths on the balcony oh yeah
2: i'm with you because i love you
4: bullshit you're fucking me for my DNA. You're fucking me for a fucking ladder because your whole family is striving and parochial.
1: That's not that's not a
3: fair characterization. Oh it's not- no,
4: well your mom loves me more than she loves you because she's cracked.
3: And then Tom's like, "You were going to send me to prison, yeah. like, you know." And so Shiv is alone, and we also have Roman thinking he can just go cozy up to Jerry. Uh. We have Kendall's ex-wife being like, "You run a racist news organization, and you like,
1: haven't called your daughter yeah. in." Months. And then he probably. tries to
3: be like, oh no, I'm doing this for them. And she laughs and walks away. Yeah. Like these three characters, as we approach the sort of final couple episodes of this series are, I think, being shown in their utter miserable isolation. And Kendall even says something about Matson, who you'd think would be kind of standing shoulder to shoulder with them as someone very rich. And he's like, new money. New you, money. you got to hold all the money to the light. <laughs> so they don't even view him as a person. They, they think no one else is real to the extent that they are the loneliest people on the planet.
1: Yes. And they're the only people who actually
3: exist. That was a thing from a couple seasons ago, right? Um, when they were talking about people being abused on the cruise ships or something. Yeah,
1: they weren't real people. Yeah. yeah.
3: It's that. that sociopathy that I was very satisfied to watch Tom, problematic as he may be, mm-hmm. throw in Schiff's face eloquently yes. and without really backing down.
1: No. And he, but you know what he did, I agree with everything that you said, but some might argue and I think some might say he took it one step too far when he yeah. was like, and guess what? You would be a terrible mother. And that's sort of the crux <laughs> of, of Shiv's whole arc right now is because she's, I think we can say secretly pregnant. Tom has no idea. And we don't know for sure if the baby is his. Maybe my sort of galaxy brain started going with like, maybe she's having so much sex with Tom so that, if the baby isn't his, she has like a plausible deniability that the baby is actually Tom's. Mm-hmm. But like that's me going into you know Shonda Rhimes land. It's right. like it's not really right. based in succession. But what is true and what we can fully point to is that Tom said you would be you're a terrible person and you would be a terrible mother and that hit Shiv and Sarah Snook, the actress, portrayed this wonderfully so deeply. I think that was the end. I think that might be the. I think that could be the end of yeah. their. Relationship because that seemed to sort of break her in a way that nothing had. And then Sarah Snook got to do this wonderful my favorite thing that an actress ever gets to do is like be absolutely devastated and then have to like wipe away the tears and put on oh, a yeah. nice face for a party. And Sarah Snook got to do that. And I was like,
3: yes! Well, that's why. <laughs> Every little gay boy falls in love with acting. It's yeah. the first time they see. That's, someone like, oh, that's, do that. You're that's like, my lived oh. experience. You're like, oh and my god! Uh, <laughs> it's like,
1: all oh, right, I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. I like wrote fifty plays where a woman does that at some point in the play when I was in college. No, totally. And I look. The, the fact of the matter is. We have never seen a single good parent on this show. No. And there's no reason to think that Shiv would be a good parent. And that is true. (laughs) But that is
1: hard to hear when she's literally pregnant. Yeah, it's
3: hard to hear. I don't feel like the show has given us any context clues that Tom has sniffed out the pregnancy. Shiv has been very strategic, sipping a little champagne here as to not give away. Like, why hasn't Shiv had—I haven't seen her have a drink in months, you know. And Tom would be horrible, too. Tom
1: would be horrible, too, but horrible in a different way.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He would try— I think messily and arrogantly, Mm -hmm. I feel like Shiv would just isolate a kid, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, Because I I, I think it weirdly, like, relates to Shiv clinging to this kind of ridiculous idea that she's, like, a Democrat with, like, progressive politics. Mm -hmm. And she's rooting for Jimenez and Gil, Gil who hates her family. I mean, we we met him seasons ago, played by Eric Bogosian. And it's like, Shiv, nothing you do would be supported by, like, your typical Democratic voter, your typical progressive. You're at this party rubbing shoulders with, by their own words, neo-Nazis and crypto-fascists. Yeah, crypto-fascists. She's deluding herself about— a lot of things.
1: Yes. And it's so interesting that like, do you know what burst that bubble? Lucas Matson. I was learning the numbers weren't real. She yeah. was like, oh my God, I might have hitched my wagon to the wrong horse. And it's like, babe, anybody could have told you that Lucas Matson was like not a great guy. Yeah. And that you got so caught up in playing the game and trying to beat your brothers because they've hurt you and you've hurt them. And the cycle of trauma and violence continues and continues that you really thought that you would win with Lucas. And then when Lucas admits that oh wait I'm just like Kendall I made up the numbers but actually it's even worse cuz what Kendall made up last episode were estimates and projections he's making up real numbers he says yeah. India has subscribed twice as much there would have to be two Indias for his numbers to be real and actually there aren't two Indias so that all came to light and that's when Shiv was like had her slight panic attack of like oh my god I might have fucked over my family to align myself with a bad guy or a guy yeah. who isn't what he says he is. It's like, honey, this is like, anybody could have told you that he was a bad guy. And you have deluded yourself into thinking that Matson was ever going to be a good option.
3: We have Nate at one point saying to Kendall, I don't know what you think this is. I'm not Gil. You're not Logan. That's a good thing. This is obviously the big thing. These kids trying to emulate their father. Matson says, They will do what he did, but they will do it stupider and... Uglier and less amenable, and I think even Shiv has that sort of that wish to sort of be like her father. And I guess maybe in her mind it was like, well, but Dad was going to sell the company to Matson. He trusted him. It's like he was going to sell the company and walk away and walk away and keep ATN and be done with all the movies and the theme parks that he didn't give a shit about. Why would that matter if Matson's financials were bad? The problem is Shiv wanted to stay and work with him and it's like that was never supposed to be the plan yeah, She this wanted was supposed to very, be a clean break very
1: very big role she's yeah. three varies, yeah. right she's as power hungry as Kendall as Roman but plays it in a different way. And for her bubble to sort of, it's so crazy because she's riding on a, a little bit of a high. She's you know, Her and Tom are back together. She seems to be playing both sides really well. Mm-hmm. And for both the business end of it to sort of fall out, and then also for her relation with the Tom, they basically played Bitey this episode, but with words. And it's actually not as fun to play Bitey with words. No. It cuts deeper. It hurts more. And again, we only have like three episodes left. I don't see how she recovers from either the Matson of it all or the Tom of it all by the end of the series, right? Yeah. Matson is a lie, and Tom, I do you believe that they hate each other? I guess before, I, before we move on, I have to know, because I was about to say Tom hates her, but there's a part of me that was like, he did offer to go to jail for her, but he wasn't being serious. He wanted her to be like, no, you don't have to go to jail, right. we'll find a different way. I'm sort of now of the mindset that <sighs> chilling line from Sarah Snook.
4: I don't even care about you. I, don't care. That we cleared the air, huh? Feel good now?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fucking great.
1: She never really loved Tom. She loved Nate, and she's just coming to terms with that. And Tom actually did love her, even for terrible reasons. And that's the fissure, and that's the end of their relationship.
3: Yeah, I think that Tom did love her in a way that you know he says like I have given you endless validation or support, you know, yeah. but but it was never enough, like. I think he did try to like bring her out of the sort of spell of the family while also exploiting her connections to the family. I think they're kind of both right. But I think the difference is that when they start to play this game of verbal bitey, partway through that argument, she's like, oh, this is not the fun kind. And no. then he starts saying things that actually hurt her, yes. and that's when everything shuts down, and she says, nope, I don't care about you because I can't care about someone who can do that to me because I'm chivroy. You yes, know?
1: And, if I ha- and if I do care about you, then I'd have to listen to what you're saying about me right. being broken and— thirsting after my father's approval and being a bad person. And I actually can't take that on right now. And being a bad mother. So it's actually way, it's a defense mechanism, honestly. It's way easier to shut down and to shut him out. She's like, I fucked myself. Like, everything's ruined. And he's like, you're going to be fine. You'll always be fine. And that is literally true. She's a billionaire heiress. In a way, she'll always be fine. But also, by that same token, if you flip the coin on the other side, she'll never be fine.
3: Financially, if she lost everything else, she could sell her Manhattan triplex and live on that for the rest of her life. <laughs> for the life. rest of her She might have to, like, I don't know, life. live in Park Slope in a one bedroom apartment. God forbid. But, like, can you imagine? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think we should pivot over to her brothers. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll start with Kendall, because I, I think this is a ruinous episode for all three of them. Uh, I mean, last week was also starting that. But this episode really, I thought, character-wise, got very grim. You know, opening with Kendall having this confrontation with his ex. A decision so, yeah, if you're going to call your you? daughter. I was raising our daughter. Well, you were fucking running oh, yeah. a racist yeah, yeah, news yeah, organization. Yeah, yeah. Great. Fuck you. Come oh, on. Fuck me. Come on. Fucking dare you interrogate me. I think even the viewer is like, oh, right. He has kids. He has
1: kids. Uh, we haven't seen them in seven episodes
3: or something. And I think because this election is looming, people in the lives of the Roys are beginning to be like, I mean, Willis says something to Connor being Oof. like, all my friends hate Mencken. Like, my family hates him. And here's the mother of Kendall's children being like, you run a racist news organization. And he freaks out and tells this lie about, I'm. Doing it all for them and to m- make the world safe. And it's like, where the hell did that come from? Yeah, the Fox News. When did acquiring media things or whatever <laughs> become? Yeah. Yeah. Save
1: the world or make people safe on the ground. And it actually, his news organization has endangered his daughter. And the way that he absolutely like villainized his ex-wife for not being with his daughter when she got pushed on the street, right. it's like, you haven't seen your daughter in 76 days at least, and you're going to come for Rava? That was so despicable and so true and so ugly, so nasty and ugly of Kendall that I do just want all the Kendall hive out there to know Like that is actually who Kendall is. That's a part of Kendall that we like to forget because he's sad boy, prince of darkness, but he's also a complete and utter asshole.
3: And look, there are definitely some... Conservative, let's say, elements at Tony Manhattan prep schools. Yes. But by and large, those are pretty progressive places. They're in Manhattan. And Kendall clearly had never thought until that moment, oh, my daughter might be having a hard time because her grandfather is Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, and
1: that might be difficult for her, and she <laughs> might be getting bullied. Or
3: Especially at a contentious election where the candidate favored by ATN is a fascist and, yeah. like, really horrible. And then I, I think that's what sets him on the course of later on in the episode proposing to frank like what if we just kind of do this like what if we kind of like reverse it yeah you know because i I think he's like i need to prove i guess maybe in his head he's like to rava and my kids but it's like he needs to prove to himself that he's on the right path that he's like doing the right thing the good thing the strong thing
1: yes and it's just pathetic at this point it's pathetic and it's Rather than—again, it's so easy to say that you love your kids, and you'd think that given his relationship with his own father, he would maybe want to be a better dad or more attentive or more caring or more involved. But no, he's the only lessons that he's learned from Logan's death, it seems, is that he wants to be better than Logan. He wants to be bigger than Logan. He wants to be stronger, faster, harder, all of the above. And rather than being like, ooh, maybe from my father's death I should invest more into my kids and my family, it's no— my dad, he was going to sell Waystar Royco. We're actually going to acquire—we're going to be bigger than he ever was. We're going to be—I'm going to be a bigger monster than Logan could have ever dreamed, which is sort of, I would say, the exact opposite take that one should have. Right. He is spiraling more into the deepest, darkest, sort of worst part of himself. That is damage directly from Logan.
3: And continually suffering these indignities. Like, he thinks he can totally sweet talk— What he imagines is a close aide to the future president of the United States at a party into, like, giving them all these kind of sweetheart allowances and, oh, you know, I got a pretty good cabinet right at my my poker game, like, if you want some names. And Nate's like, what? That's not how. I don't feel comfortable with this. And that's so embarrassing for Kendall, who is the one of the kids. I mean, Shiv has her own kind of notions about this, too. But I think Kendall thinks he's cool. He gets it. You and I work in media. We have met scores of 40 something year old men redacted redacted like
1: redacted <laughs> not at fair not, not course, here but
3: <laughs> but like in there. who were just like and it's like you are not as savvy as you think you are all you are is bluster and yeah. then when it actually comes to it you have no idea how to read a room kendall should have absolutely known that trying to get nate into that sort of deal at this party it was crazy that he even came yes you insane. Know. i think he came to see shiv yeah um and also, I guess yes, in, in in a cold political strategy way, you don't want to totally alienate the people in that room. Yeah. But you also don't want to like, in po- plain view, make these arrangements yeah. for we're going to give you good coverage it. for the first hundred days, and if in exchange for this and that, and the Kendall just like yet again tried to like do like dad, but he doesn't have the savvy, he doesn't have the acumen for it. And, you know, he also can't handle Matson in a way that, like, Matson, at least seemed to have some begrudging respect for Logan. Yeah. And obviously zero, for good reason. For, well, with, for that
1: brings us to the big Kendall Matson yeah. showdown, and I think we gotta get into Matson this episode, who... And I'm gonna take the lump here and say, I feel like an idiot for assuming that Matson was smarter than Kendall or anyone. I think the lesson of succession, which... I guess what I'm still learning is that all of these people are bullshit. All of this is fake. Matt, we learned from Ebba, he was handed a box of tech, and yeah. he's not even a mastermind that we think that he is.
3: It's almost like someone in our world hmm. who bought an electric car company having not invented the electric oh, car cool. I and don't then know. took credit for it for ages. Like, it's almost, the, there's some something in the tip of my tongue. The but, name is escaping yeah, me. Yeah, we'll yeah. figure
1: that out. We'll get to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's sort of exactly like that. And then... We got the fake numbers in India, which we already talked about, and then Kendall and Matson have the showdown. And really, Shiv as as messed up as Shiv is, she did give Lucas pretty good advice. Like, if you just act normal at this party and you don't, you know, offend anyone or put on a big show, you'll probably be fine. But Lucas, he like, gets high with Greg and then starts, like, berating Ebba, which is the worst decision he ever could have made, given all the dirt that she has and their relationship. And is
3: clearly just willing to give up pretty yeah. easily.
1: Literally sort of without yeah. any sort of push or anything. Yeah. One and then,
3: cigarette and that's it. Like, you know.
1: And then he decides, with his foot up on the windowsill, with his shoes on, to come for New York City.
2: So who's, uh, who's going out tonight in this shitty fucking town? Anyone? I gotta say, it's pretty depressing from up here. You can really see how second world it is. I don't know, pretty happening town, famously. Really? Is it though? Yeah. Compared to Singapore, Seoul? It's like Legoland.
1: I. Again, I know I just came for Kendall, and I was like, he's such a terrible person. He's so bad. But when Kendall was sort of writing for New York City, I was like, you oh, sure. go, girl. Yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah, there is no place like New York. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you just saw the Colton Ryan musical, didn't you? you gassed up on New York, New York. Absolutely. <laughs> gassed up on Colton Ryan.
1: candor um, and just just
3: um But, yeah, I, I think the funny thing about that exchange was— well, A, I just have to say, Skarsgård is so good in this oh, role. it's scary. It's, it's, he's genuinely frightening because it's like, that's what those guys are like. I mean, I've never met the real billionaire guys, but I've met people like him, yeah. um, much less successful. And they that sort of loping gait, the head down, like him sitting on the window so with the leg up. It's like, what
1: are you doing? What are you doing? This is an the-
3: uptown pre-election party with a bunch of guys in suits. Like, the gold this bomber
1: jacket? You, you don't
3: look cool. You just look kind of foolish. Yes. And, I did like when Matson said, cool family, cool, cool, cool family. That was good. But other than that, Matson's like... My numbers are what? Gay. My numbers are gay? <laughs> yeah.
2: You had this uh, cute little valuation, and your numbers just came out as gay.
3: It's kind of homophobic, <laughs> man. Oh, these people, these are like six-year-old boys. They're
1: six-year-olds. I was like, okay, triggered from high school, like, using you're you're gay as an funny. insult. <laughs> like, haven't heard that since 2008, <laughs> right, but okay. Look, but it's so... Familiar and, as you said with Skarsgård, so well delivered that that's the insult. That's what's really going to get Kendall. And just seeing these two men who both have nothing. I mean, really, they hate each other because they're so alike in a way. It feels like it's really the opposite of game recognize game. It's the absence of game recognize the absence of game. It's really just a dance to see who is going to fool the most people in that room, of the 40 most influential people in America, right? Right. And they're all standing there and watching these two, as you said, middle schoolers push each other and shove each other verbally. And I actually don't know, who do you think won that? I actually don't even know. Oh, I don't think anyone won that. I think it was embarrassing,
3: you know. For everyone involved. And I think the thing that Kendall, the delusion he's laboring under is that all of these people in his father's business world, his social world, and the uptown New York Manhattan world they have thought he was a joke probably since he was a teenager. Yeah. But he thinks somehow that's changed because what? He's Logan interim died. CEO. Yeah. And we saw that last week with both Kendall and Roman being like, uh, CEO, CEO, hi, you have to respect me. You have to respect me. And it's like, no, Kendall, you're still the buffoon. Like, like nothing changed because you succeeded into the title that your father left behind mm. kind of leading into Roman. I, I think there is something about this episode where Shiv is kind of finding herself tumbling back to the... What's the Democrat version of a, a rhino? A dino, a Democrat in name only, yeah. who's sort of left out of the family fold and doing her own political thing or, and sort of like, not the black sheep, but sort of just like another sheep, kind of off to the side. Yeah. Kendall is the foolish, erratic brother... And Roman is, you know, the sort of caustic jerk who probably has some deep psychological problems. Yeah. We are returning to where we found them at the beginning of this series. Yeah. After all of this, they're just confirming that they're still the same people.
1: It's so crazy. There's been basically no growth from any of them in a really astounding way because you think of series as like over time they're going to change, they're going to grow, they're going to learn their lessons. But that is actually the opposite of what has happened for all of them, and we really to pivot to Roman, we see that which I just got really scared of Roman this episode, like politically, because he and this was foreshadowed in season three. Like he does seem to kind of like Menken, like there's something that he like he likes that he's sort of like a yeah, fuck he, you, anarchist, edge lord, <clears throat> shit. Edgelord. Edgelord. Like like yeah.
3: Roman would snicker at a conservative meme tweet because it's like. It's nihilistic and it's you yeah. know it's provocative and again like it's very childish. In it's eighth very grade.
1: eighth grade. It's very childish. His communications with Mencken to try to get Connor, who <laughs> poor Connor, to drop out of the race and become the ambassador to Oman. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first
3: they offered Connor. The, the ambassadorship to Somalia in yes. Mogadishu. And he was worried
1: about the car bombs. He said it's not
3: very car bomby. car bomby. he and said. And then it was the UN. <laughs> <laughs> then there was the Europe strategy?
1: Yes. Then it was he wanted to be Berlin by Christmas, <laughs> right. So, but by, by way of the Balkans. <laughs>
3: right. But but not Slovenia and Slovakia, which are not technically the Balkans, but they're pretty close. <laughs>
1: yes, because he was offered that, and he said right. no. Yeah. And then it was Korea, South Korea. <laughs> yeah. And then it was North Korea because you don't really know what's going on there.
3: And And Maxim Pierce, his running mate, you know, also of the Pierce family, is like, my liege, like no, like or whatever, yeah. like yeah. Just, I love that Connor found another media psycho scion, like you know, just, it, across uh, the aisle, so to speak. And, and then, then, then they,
1: they yeah, landed on Oman,
3: which uh, Willa thinks they're going to live in an underground bunker. <laughs> Roman is going about trying to kind of broker that deal. Yes, the Connor clown show. It's so silly that I started rooting for the Connor clown show because the other three siblings were being so vile in this so episode, so <laughs>
1: terrible that I was like, all right, I guess Con- I like Connor the best right now. <laughs> <laughs> and especially when he had Willa sort of piping up and piping against Roman, yeah. being like, anything could happen tomorrow. You know, it's right. not going to happen.
3: Which, like, is that the show? You
1: know, kind of doing a little foreshadowing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe your theory will come true. Who's yeah. to say? Will Connor win the election? Right now, it looks like not, but anything might happen. Tomorrow is what Willis says, to sort of shut down Roman, who, again, is grasping at straws. And then he has that really incredible conversation with Jerry. Jerry. What? The thing. That wasn't the firing you thing. That wasn't real. No. 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 It was like in the heat of the, you know? You know. No. No. And no, that actually has consequences. And Jerry, as we've been saying this whole season. She played her card. She was like, I could at any moment. I'll give you five years, but if you do anything rude towards me or insinuate that I wasn't an amazing employee, I will 100% take the many, many, many photos of your penis on my phone and just go to town with them.
3: She'll sue. Then she says the most devastating thing, which is, I could have taken you there. Yeah, She could have gotten him into CEO, as was a plan at one point briefly, Mm -hmm. but... Like I was saying about the kids reverting back to who they were. I mean, maybe they never – there wasn't very far to revert to. Roman, yet yet again, with his just like uh, unwell mind and sort of just like general misanthropy, like he just alienated what was kind of his most valuable and ally at the company, but also
1: kind of a friend. Yeah, well, it's funny because I read that. I could have taken you there I could have gotten you there as both to the top of the chain at Waystar Royco but also like sexually like there was like there was like Maybe, yeah, I yeah. was like ooh she could have yeah. gotten there in in many different right. ways if he had Drop, not been himself. <laughs> not been himself. Not bit yeah. himself. Yeah, literally not yeah. bit himself and made the decisions and choices that he had made due to his own family trauma and his ego and his lack of impulse control. If he could just take a breath and not get heated and impulsive. And we saw that with Connor, where it's like he was getting so frustrated that Connor wasn't like immediately willing to drop out of the race. But then by that same token, like he did make some shrewd moves, re-Matson and getting finding out the ebba and the blood bricks mm-hmm. of it all mm-hmm. and then of all the siblings he can sort of be the most empathetic in a way like from a one to one what he wants it when he wants to turn it on he can turn on right the charm he was sensitive about his father he was sensitive he to didn't carry
3: fight. he was sensitive to Carrie. but he has turned a weird corner in the last these past two episodes i think probably out of grief but also out of a sort of mounting desperation because as much as he and Kendall are working together, obviously we've seen at least Kendall is yeah. like, no, it's just me. Just it's like just one me. head, one crown, you know. Um, and I'm sure that Roman suspects that. And he also has this thing from his father right before he died. Roman's like, he wanted me to be at his right hand and I have to live up to that or whatever. Yeah. But all he's good at is being the little whisperer and getting secrets and being an asshole. Yeah, like, the, which making... is like... Find quips. Something that is of some value. Yeah. But also people keep calling this company this ethos on the show a dinosaur, it's antiquated, it's it's not it's not the future. And it's like I don't doubt, I mean, that everyone in that room, whether whatever side of the aisle they were on, were all awful people. No yes. one should have been at that party. Everything's bad, all these masters of the universe. But we in the world of the show, I think we can kind of assume like are in an era where at least when it's public facing, that kind of like brash, underhanded kind of personality, that's not what people are looking for, at, publicly Yes. Yeah. Maybe in private, they would have use of a Roman. Yeah. But he can't sort of stand for that as his like main identity.
1: Well, it's funny. He's the one who offered to do the big speech for dad, right? right? He's the one. So is he going to tone that down? Like, what's he going to say at the big funeral speech? And also, given the fact that he knows that Logan wanted him back in the fold, is he going to use that big speech as an opportunity to be like, well, what dad actually wanted was for me to take over and our last conversation right. said that. That's a, that could be something that is coming. And yeah. that could be, I don't know if that's a shrewd move, but that could be a power play that Roman makes at the funeral to be like, the last conversation that I had with my father was him saying that he wanted me back on top. So I don't know. I'm, that's my little prediction that he might do that.
3: <laughs> we have an election coming up And a funeral coming up. Yeah. So there's a lot to look forward to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, a conversation with one of our favorite corporate pairings, Frank and Carl, also known as Peter Friedman and David Rash. Over the past seven episodes, a lot has changed for Frank and Carl. And while they were getting ready to deploy their golden parachutes, it's questionable as to whether they will open.
3: Our wonderful Vanity Fair colleague Julie Miller got a chance to catch up with Peter Friedman and David Rash and talked about the clues that informed their characters' backstories and their relationships with the Roy children. Here's their conversation.
4: I'm curious if you guys follow Twitter at all, because a lot of people say that Frank and Carl are the sort of unsung power couple of the show. Have you seen that feedback?
2: No. I agree totally. I haven't seen it, but... Whoever said that is hundred percent on the money.
4: <laughs> right. Well, they they do have these cute little moments, even in the episode where Logan dies, and you know he's still getting chest compressions. We see Carl make himself a little stiffener, a little drink, and he automatically just makes one for Frank. <laughs> Can you talk about sort of developing that rhythm? And have you figured out a story for these characters that exists outside the world of the show? Like, do you think that they hang out and they're off? To
0: I think they're forced to hang out, and they You know, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't think it's it, they, either. They're so different that neither of the person's choice. Probably they they all have their own way to go, right? Well,
2: also you have you know I've known Peter for I don't know thirty years, forty years, a long, long, long time. And when you have that kind of relationship, you get a lot for free, right? <laughs> you just you see it there because because it's there. And uh, that's, that makes things easier.
4: Can you tell us a little bit about your meeting? Your, your meet cute all these decades ago?
2: I don't know, Peter, how
0: did we ever meet? I have just absolutely no idea. Clearly we're not going to be auditioning in the same room for the same thing.
2: So so it probably didn't happen there. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but you know, a small town and you know, Peter's been in every play that's ever been produced (laughs) in New York in the last 50 years, he's worked with every director and every playwright who's written a play for the last 50 years. So your chances of running into Peter Friedman are pretty good.
4: Oh, my gosh. Well, I love getting any little breadcrumb about Frank and Carl's interior lives. Anything I'll take. So when we hear, for example, that Carl's half in on a Greek island, that just lit me up inside. I was so happy for him. Do you, Have you made up any backstory or character story for these guys and what happens when they go home?
2: Oh, God. I don't know about that, but I mean, we have, uh, you know, the script certainly gives us some insight into it in just in terms of how we react to different things. Right. I mean, you know, my reaction to the kids is to give them a spanking and uh, Frank's is to um, try to reassure them and be the caretaker. Caretaker, I'm not. Okay, that's not me. I'll kill him. Right. Because I have my eye on the prize and I will not be denied. Frank has a different way of of staying alive in this organization, and it's worked for both of us. There have been dramatically different takes on life at Waystar, and we both survived. We
0: look for clues in the script. That's been our life with theater scripts. And you look for what you do, what you say, and what other people say about you. But what other people say about you and what you say about yourself may not be true. So I'm looking you know, for seasons now give me a clue and there was something at the beginning of an episode where uh, in the third season where the FBI was coming to raid each of us and they raided Jerry and Frank and Carl in the morning you know as they were getting out of bed and uh it was all cut you know they they found a quicker way to do that and and I but but for that first scene in one of those episodes we were in Frank's opulent bedroom, and there was a woman in his bed. And I went, oh, let me get that down. That's the first clue I've had. And, and then it was gone.
2: So we don't know. He may live in a hovel, for all I know. You uh-huh. know there, were, there were other clues. I mean, Logan says to Frank, at, "At I guess it was in the second or third season, you're mashed potatoes, and and Frank agrees. So we have that. And well, thanks. Well, and then in, bore on, in bore on the Floor, doesn't Logan threaten to expose Carl's sex life, I believe? Yes, that's yes. right. Oh. So, you know, there have been hints all along, little tiny things that are reveal our characters. Well, we've seen the whole thing happen, right? I mean, we've been with Logan for a very, very long time. And we saw him ruin his children. That's true. That right? is true. We saw the whole thing happen. We saw him born at 10 at 15 we see them now uh, with an inflated idea of what they can do you know average at best was in one script right i mean they're just they they they're they're famous because of who they're associated with but they're no good kendall is you know sort of alcoholic junkie fuck-up who's always getting in trouble and screwing things up for other people and roman is a mess and Shiv is her personal life is is a total mess and we've seen that we saw the whole thing happen right
4: it's also been interesting because as an audience we've felt certain ways about these kids all these seasons but now that Logan's gone we see you know Carl and Jerry especially tell these kids sort of what the audience has been thinking we see Jerry tell Roman you're not your father and we see Carl tell Kendall. I've
2: been a CFO at major public companies for over two decades, and I know a thing or two about a thing or two. And if you fuck up his deal, or you try to stand up numbers that I am not comfortable with, I swear to God.
4: There's that great, you know, dressing down he has, and it feels almost like a father figure telling Kendall right before he goes out on stage, like, don't, don't screw this up. Can you talk about getting to finally kind of free that? That must feel good as an actor to sort of get to say what the audience has been thinking these past four seasons.
2: Well, he's, you know, I mean, I have my eye on the prize or Carl has his eye on the prize and he's not going to be denied, you know. And as I said, we've known these kids a long time, I've seen the whole thing. I know what he's capable of. I know what he's been doing and he needs a spanking. And so that's what he got. And he knows that if he screws up, I'll kill him. <laughs> right. I'm not kidding. And then he pulls through and that's fine. So I could say, hey, what a great guy. Okay. Fine. So for so far, so good. Just exactly what I wanted. But Frank has a completely different relationship, right? Mine has been more business and sort of closer to Logan, but mm. Frank has had a relationship with the kids. And maybe that's, David, that's why they
0: cut that thing at the end of season two, right? Because it was too strong for Frank's character.
4: I heard about this. Didn't Frank get a scene where he sort of told off all three yeah. of the children? And-
0: and it was cut because it, it, it wasn't either the right time or with the right character, after the kids are disposed of by Logan and that villa that they rent, that Logan rented, he gets the deal with Caroline, his ex-wife, so the kids are cut off at the knees, and they're in shock, and Roman comes over to the Jerry and Carl and Frank and, says, and, and pleads with each of us in turn. for help and something. And we go No. For different reasons. You know, I say, you don't deserve it. You got what you, you know, basically you got what you deserve. But the most important thing, as they wisely decided, was Sarah's realizing that she had been betrayed by
2: her husband. That was the And the the reactions in in that scene that was cut was he came to me and I said, You're going to be rich. Don't worry about it. Jerry, her line is still in there. And she says, It's not within, it's not in my self interest. And Frank said, You are the most spoiled, overrated, craven, wanton
0: I've ever seen.
2: You must be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But it was really, you know, like right to the heart, you know. And it might have been too much for that early, you know.
2: Also, you know, the word that has been associated, had been applied to Jesse is ruthless. And um he is. And that's why this show is so great. It's his favorite scene, his favorite line. Does it work? Does it fit? Cut. It's cut. And my feeling about that particular line is maybe not so much with character, but the scene was tending in a certain way. And the thrust of the scene needed to keep going. And for, for that line to have been in there was maybe a little diversion that they didn't want. You know, so, so I mean, who knows? I, it's a total guessing game. But it, it was, you know, uh, Peter. It kind of interesting that 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 line has stayed with both of us, and has informed my understanding of myself and the kids from that li- from a line that was cut <laughs> from, from from that right? that scene where where Kieran comes over to us. Uh-huh. Yeah.
4: Well, Peter. So we've we've seen. It's hard to talk about now that I know that you delivered this evisceration of the kids that was cut. But you've had some tender scenes with Kendall this season, sort of comforting him after after Logan's death. Mm-hmm. And um, he comes to you, I think, at the end of four oh seven, and it's a very deja vu scene where he again says he can't really trust his family and will will Frank back him, which we've right. seen before. So, even though Frank feels that way about the kids and maybe their ability, capability to run this business, it seems like he has a soft spot for Kendall. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship?
0: Well, I think as somebody who's watched him grow up, I'm worried. This kid has been troubled. This kid is very troubled. I've tried to back him once and we got shot down and he's going to go again. I want to support him. I want him. But I also, I just don't know how tight I can pull my belt in for another go-round, and if it's a good idea at all. It saddens me to watch him strive so hard and achieve so little in terms of what I can see. It hurts.
4: Oh, And David, you also have another great scene this this season where Carl, um, I think they're in a China closet, and Tom throws his hat in the ring of being possibly the successor. Mm -hmm. And Carl, in the nicest way possible, (laughs) positions what what people might say about him. You must get a scene like that, and that must just be a dream as an actor, right, to dig into that monologue?
2: It's a dream. A total dream. I am grateful. You know, I keep bringing up Jesse, but... Thank you, Jesse. You know, um, uh, yeah, it was a a wonderful scene. And, uh, you know, I always say about the good thing about doing television and film is you don't have to do the same scene over and over and over. But the good thing about doing theater is you get to do the same scene over and over and over. (laughs) Right. And and this is this is one of those scenes where. If this were in a play I was in, I, that would have been just fine. It's the kind yes. of scene that was... Would you have would have waited for it every night. Every night. I can't wait to get to that. Absolutely. <laughs> it was really fun. You know, it's just... Uh, I would say, you know, everybody improvises and, you know, sometimes there are things, but you don't change a lot. I mean, I don't think one word of that scene was changed. It was written like that. It's kind of like, you know, I did a lot of David Mamet plays and... uh People I always people always thought I was like really smart. That's because I was doing David <laughs> Mammon. I'm not smart. I'm saying his lines. Okay. And this is the same thing. The uh, shine reflects on us off of what has already been brilliant. We are just the beneficiaries.
4: Well, I'm curious, who would you choose to, to runway star? I know that Carl really has his, his eyes set on this Greek island and this golden parachute. Could anything lure him back, even if they were to say, Carl, you're, you're taking over?
2: <laughs> I'm going to not answer that question. I'm, oh. going to, I'm going to say, tune in.
4: Okay, okay. Peter, what about you? Who do you think would be best fit?
2: As Peter or Frank? As Peter um alexander scorskord oh really (laughs) i think no i think i think it's his so his chauffeur either me either me or his chauffeur (laughs) colin
3: thanks so much to our colleague julie miller still watching we'll be back in just a moment and when we return we'll dive into your emails and do some theorizing on how the series will end
2: The Run for Revogue is where
4: you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Um,
0: who should be the mayor of New York.
4: We all support that. We support that. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Nikki? Yes? It's been really great being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asha, can you hear us?
3: I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me?
4: We can. We can.
3: All right, here we are. (laughs)
4: At eBay, you'll always get that feel of real because your fashion purchase will be backed by Authenticity Guarantee. Whether it's a knit bag, a must-have watch, dreamy jewellery or fire sneakers and fresh streetwear, every step will feel authentic, every flex will feel real. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms.
3: All right, Chris, I think we have an email from a listener that you wanted to read because it puts us in a good position to look ahead.
1: Yes. Okay. So thank you, James, for emailing in. So James said, Roman has a line in episode four that immediately made me suspect the writers were giving us a clue of what's to come. After learning that Connor and Willa are going to buy the home from Marcia, Roman says, Let's all move in grow old together. Share a bed like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Charlie's grandparents have to share one bed between the four of them because the family is so poor. I think the Roy children are not only going to tank the Gojo deal, but completely destroy Waystar Royco and wind up, if not actually poor, then at least the Roy's version of poor. What do you think? I mean,
3: there's definitely offshore money that won't be touched. But yes, I do think <laughs> that, like, you know, maybe it's not a one-bedroom in Park Slope, but, like, I think there is a distinct possibility that a significant part of the empire crumbles maybe it's a combination of a failed deal and a disastrous presidential election for them. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Is there a Dominion lawsuit analog (laughs) in succession? Not that that destroyed Fox News, sadly, but based on this episode and kind of the last, the one previous, I think these kids are headed for ruin because Mm -hmm. the writers are, and Jesse Armstrong are heavily indicating that these people are in a state of entropy. I don't see how they pull out of this
1: dive. And now my contrarian brain is like well maybe is the point of the whole show that all these terrible rich people continue to not change and nothing changes and they keep getting rewarded and they keep winning amassing more wealth and power despite their clear lack of skill or talent or good personhood so that makes me think especially with the way that kendall is trending but again i'm trying to think of it strategically in terms of we've got three episodes left how much can we Reasonably get done right. in those three episodes. We did learn from Nicholas Patel, who wrote the amazing theme song, that the last episode is ninety minutes. So that's sort of like we got three and a half episodes <laughs> in oh a way. Boy.
3: That's exciting. So it's like a
1: ninety-minute finale episode. And what comes up must go down. And right now we're yeah. seeing a bunch of sort of wins, but it could be most surprising, and most shocking, and most devastating. If after all this, watching them just fumble the bag over and over and over and learn nothing from any of their mistakes, that they end up, as you said, Connor president, Kendall, CEO. Everyone's on top. Everyone got what they wanted. And they're all hollow, empty, terrible people.
3: I mean, that would seem to better align with the ethos of the show than would my idea that actually this is going to end in tragedy. I mean, their version of tragedy. I think you're right that it's probably a King Lear where Cordelia uh, and Reagan, Reagan and Goneril rather, I guess Cordelia to some extent too, yeah. like get up and are like, we're not dead, we're fine. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> and it's all like, good. And, and the play ends. <laughs> yeah. um, if a context clue is Tom saying to Shiv this episode, like you're going to be fine no matter what. Yeah. Like maybe there is some sort of indication there. But I do think that James, uh, who wrote in, is reading some interesting tea leaves.
1: I guess that brings us to, given where we are at and after this episode— who are you hot on? Who are you low on? Who sort of won? Who sort of lost? Our age-old question.
3: I mean, I think the winner of this episode, a lot of losers this episode, if you have the ear of the U.S. ambassador to Oman, the world <laughs> opens up to you. I, Willa, you, have, you got diplomat
1: plates. You can park yeah. anywhere.
3: And you do you do a couple years in Oman. But then you're in Ljubljana, which is the capital of Slovenia. Okay,
1: okay. And Geography. then you're in
3: Berlin so much material
1: for her plays.
3: Willa has found herself in a mighty powerful position. So I think she won the episode.
1: Absolutely. And the vibe is very much like, I can make fun of my dumb husband, but you can't make fun of my dumb husband. And I love that. They're a team. They're a team, for better or worse. And so Connor having any sort of political career after this campaign is kind of a win. (laughs) He has bullied
3: the U.S. political system into, quote, taking him seriously as a politician. It might take a Far right crazy president to like give him that that title, yes. But like he has somewhat legitimized himself in at least some people's in some aspects. way. So
1: I think you have to say that's yeah. a win for Connor, sure. and, and maybe given how disastrously everything went for the other siblings, I'm gonna give Team Will and Connor the win here. Cherry's kind of a winner too. Oh yeah, if she gets her hundred million, if it works out. And the fact that she has the. Wherewithal and the foresight, I think this goes back to the point you've been making. Why don't they all cash out and eat sushi and ride jet skis? That's what Jerry's doing when she says, "Actually, I'm done with this. Actually, no more." The last shot of this whole
3: show should be Jerry on a jet ski in the Mediterranean, while <laughs> and she's eating sushi on the jet on ski,
1: a hundred percent racing
3: across the sea in front, like like
1: Saint Tropez in the background. You know, some you know, a hot guy on the back of the on the jet ski. I see that. I see that for her. It's Nate. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, that does it for this episode of Still Watching. Please, yet again, send us your questions, concerns, feelings of injustice, theories. We're in the end game now, so we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Pod at gmail.com. If you want to bother me more immediately, not bother me, <laughs> say hi to yeah, me. Yeah,
1: just sort of uh, lend your thoughts. I am,
3: for the time being, on Blue Sky, I mean Twitter, <laughs> at Rylas, R-I-L-A-W-S.
1: Oh, well, some of us haven't been invited to Blue Sky I yet. Not either. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find me on Twitter, for the time being, at Christress, C-H-R-I-S-T-R-E-S-S. This has been Still Watching from
3: Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Quiroga. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next week for Episode 8. We're nearly done. Looking forward to seeing you then. Money and gossip. That's oh, yeah. No, that's
4: all it is. Just money and gossip.
3: Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival.